Hi everyone, this is Anissa and you're listening to Stars in My Pocket. The title probably gave it away, but we're doing something a little different with this episode. As a podcast that talks about TV, movies, the entertainment industry, what we love about these stories, and what sometimes drives us nuts about them, we wanted to take a deeper dive into the post-Harvey Weinstein discussion than we've been able to so far. I'm joined by two very special guests this time. Odessa Jones is back with us, and we welcome our friend Pogo for the first time. Barma will occasionally pipe in as well, but Saya was unfortunately not able to this time. We'll discuss what the Me Too movement has looked like in Korea and elsewhere, specific cases of terrible men in Korean entertainment, and separating the art from the artist. We also talk about problematic tropes in K-dramas, you know the ones, how K-dramas have changed in recent years, and our hopes for the future. And we recommend some shows with nice heroes. <laughs> Take a listen. Hi everyone! Welcome back to a special edition of Stars in My Pocket. I'm Anissa, and today we have two special guests joining us. First we have um, someone who's returning, and we're really glad to welcome back. Please introduce yourself. Hi, uh, it's Odessa Jones here, and I am very excited. This is the third time I'm joining you guys on your podcast. Yay! Thank you for coming. And we also have a special new guest. Please introduce yourself. Uh, hi, guys. This is Pogo, or I used to post on Drama Beans as Pogo. Uh, it's my first time doing a podcast. So, hello. Hi, and welcome. So, Today we are going to do something a little different from what we normally do. Um, we wanted to t- sort of discuss the what we're calling men behaving badly, but it's just with everything that's been happening in the last, you know, six to eight months with a lot of, you know, sexual harassment and abuse, kind of a lot of things being exposed and a lot of people finding you know, having to face consequences and then the rise of the Me Too movement, you know, kind of globally, not just here in the U.S., but I know, um, Odessa Jones, you've mentioned that it's kind of, you've been seeing the fallout in Korea as well. So I, I think it'll be interesting for us to talk about it kind of from our own perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, it, in the Korean drama industry, in the K- Korean entertainment industry, there's been a few big stories Um, so I'll just briefly introduce them, then we can kind of get into talking about them. There was, um, Kim Ki-duk, who was a very prominent director, and he has a lot of, like, international acclaim. He was accused of rape and sexual assault by multiple women. Um, Jo Jae-han, who is a very commonly seen K-drama actor, he's in a lot of villain roles and stuff, he has also been exposed to have assaulted some women, um, he ap- actually admitted to it, apologized, and, you know, stepped down from all his positions. Um, and then we had Jo Min-ki, who um, actually, actually, Odessa Jones, do you mind talking about this? Because I feel like I just read a couple of articles, but you're kind of, you're there on the ground, and I'd like to hear how it's been reported over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I live in uh, in the provinces in Korea, and I don't watch the news a lot, the Korean news. But I do hear what my coworkers, my Korean coworkers, think about the news. So I think from from my perspective, the uh, Me Too has had more traction 
internationally or in in news for an international audience than like in um, among the Koreans who I know. Uh, but it's interesting. Joe Min Ki, a few weeks ago, he committed suicide after apologizing for or after issuing a statement about having uh, coerced a bunch of the students he had at a university course after, after co- coercing students into sex. And um, so he clearly, he's part of the Me Too thing. Like these women came forth because they were encouraged by, they were encouraged to join and say what has gone on to with them in their lives. And uh, because he committed suicide, like one of my fears is that lots of people in Korea regard that as sort of like, oh, Me Too has gone too far. Oh. Uh, whereas from a from my perspective, it's when anyone commits suicide in Korea, it's it's a sign of the the poor mental health system here as much as anything. Um, but so so for a lot of Koreans, I think it is um, only I, I think they they quickly get the story confused in a sense. I mean, the story is a story about. The story of sexual harassment in the entertainment industry is about the fact that for a very long time, women have often like had to have relationships with the men in charge in order to have careers. Yeah. And and that's been the case in Hollywood. And it's definitely been the case in Korea. It's been the case everywhere that there's an entertainment industry, pretty much. Uh, but but I think some Koreans are confused, getting confused and worrying uh well, and this is the case with some Americans as well, isn't it? Like people are thinking, oh, well, maybe we, maybe everything about how men and women relate to each other is is wrong, and so that, and that, I think, is an interesting. It's an interesting question that Me Too has raised for a lot of people because that might be a question that we all want to ask. Yeah, maybe everything about how men and women have been. Uh, had imbalances in power between each other, things like that. Maybe that is all something we want to talk about. Um, but the only people that I've had really bring it up with me here in Korea were, and this is really interesting, uh, last week there was a group of, uh, 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 there's one, one of the things that I do in my job is I visit, I visit schools in our province as like a visiting English visiting English teacher because they don't have native English teachers in their own schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so a group of a middle school or a high school, a high school English club invited uh, me and another colleague of mine to come and talk to them about Me Too, oh, which wow. was just the most astonishing and heavy thing for, for uh, a boy's high school to request of us. Um, and, and that was really interesting to me because yeah, the adults that I work with, like have hardly the, the Korean adults I work with, haven't talked much about me too at all. Um, but, but this group of high school boys who are studying English and paying attention to international news and paying attention to events in Korea, uh, they, they wanted to, they wanted to, to talk about it. Um, and it wasn't necessarily a very deep discussion because they, they didn't know much English or, you know, and speaking mm-hmm. English is difficult for them. But, but that to me was very interesting that at least, 
at least some young people are seeing that and thinking, oh, this, this, maybe this will, maybe this is causing some social change we need to pay attention to. Uh, I think a lot of, I see so much, um, so often in America and in Korea, older people are pretty set in their ways. And I think, oh, nothing is going to change because the older people are going to keep doing things the way they always have. Uh, but then this, this group of high school boys, they, they made me think, okay, well, Maybe maybe there is a, a generation that is in high school right now while this is going on in high school in America and high school in Korea. You know, this generation is hearing a lot about these topics and maybe is going to think about them more deeply than than older people. Yeah, it's very interesting that you say that because the way that I've seen this covered in English language, I guess you could call like Hallyu media or like English language media that covers, you know, yeah. South Korea is very... You know, it's all about like the rise of the Me Too movement in South Korea mm-hmm. and how it's, you know, sort of taking the entertainment industry by storm. And so um, I guess we always have yeah. to take things with a grain of salt because a lot of it is also translated. Mm, um, yes. Or it's, it's reporting on a, an article in Korean kind of third hand or whatever. So, yeah. And yeah. also the, the Korean entertainment industry is the entertainment industry. And that's separate from the rest of the country. <laughs> So I, I hope, I'd like, I really hope, I really like to think that within, you know, wherever in some boardroom in Seoul, they're thinking about these things. But I feel like as long as the rest of the country, as long as the people who watch dramas aren't really thinking about it much, I don't, then I think the, the people in charge could get away with not really making a lot of changes at all. Um, so, so it's sort of in the hands of these, these high school boys in a sense. Um, because I, I think the Ajummas, uh, the, the older, older Koreans are many of them relatively conservative. And we can see that with the, uh, the rehabilitation of Pak Shi-hoo's career. Yeah. So um, which just I upsets do, me to no end. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to get into some specifics, but before we get into that, um, Pogo, can I ask if you don't mind just sharing a little bit of like what you've been thinking as you've watched, been watching this and if you feel like talking about where you are, you know, in the world and what's been going on there locally, feel free to share that as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm from India. And uh, in my experience, I, I don't think Me Too specifically as it's been, uh, as, as the thing it's been in the last six months relating to the entertainment industry has actually made any difference on the ground or... Uh, to people I know specifically. Mm-hmm. It's definitely something that's come up in private conversation and uh, something that people seem to agree about is that it's not really a question of... It's, it's that at its heart, it's not really a sex question. It's more of a work question. It's not that it's not really about... Um, it's not really about how do I put it the relationship between men and women so much as what is expected and what is acceptable in a work environment and how that becomes, yeah. And how that shapes up for women because um, people don't often keep those two issues separate. Mm-hmm. No. And uh, the thing is we've had movements before we've had people acknowledging that there's something seriously wrong with the way our society treats women, and that's been that's been the case, I think, really prominently since 2012. 
Uh, I don't really want to get into the incident uh, that took place that year, but basically it made a lot of people realize that we had uh, serious issues surrounding rape and sexual harassment of women, not just at work, but like as in general as as a broader societal issue. And um, you know, now we know that it's isn't now. Now I think there's some awareness that it's a thing, but I do think that for the most part. Um, most of the country is really too conservative to acknowledge that sexual harassment is even sexual harassment at all. You know, there's still a lot of the she asked for it mentality going. And uh, I don't know if that's something that will even change in this generation. I, I don't see it happening. Sorry to be pessimistic. No, I mean, it's it's real. <laughs> I'm, I'm right, kind of there with you because... Like, I can tell you, I'm, I live in the U.S., and there's been a lot of this, like you were saying, Odessa, a lot of this reevaluation of the way that men and women relate to each other. And like you said, Pogo, a lot of it has been centered around what has been actually happening in workplaces as opposed to what people say has been happening or is supposed to happen, where I think here we do have a lot of laws about, you know, harassment in the workplace and how you're supposed to interact and what's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's trainings that people go through and, um, but the research has shown that those trainings don't really help in a lot of cases. Um, and in reality, those rules and laws tend not to be enforced, especially in certain environments where the ones on top have a lot of power and the people who are working for them really don't have any and they're very desperate to get ahead in their career. And so they became, you know, become vulnerable. So I think, but there is still that aspect of, there is, there is that element of people who are like, this is going too far. You know, like, I mean, we had some big Hollywood people say in interviews recently that, you know, like this is becoming a witch hunt. This is going too far. You know, people should be allowed to make mistakes. So, you know, there is, I don't think that's going to go away, um, especially mm. not considering who the people in power in, element, in, in the entertainment industries globally are usually like older men with a lot of power who are very entrenched, very wealthy. You know, they, they aren't about to let go of that anytime soon. Yeah, I, 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 I do feel a certain pessimism. I, I feel that well, I read the meet. I read the newspaper, and the media has the American media, at least, especially, really loves the story, the Me Too story, and they they are and they're doing a good job reporting on uh, on abuses that they've uncovered. But if the if people on the ground, if people who are consuming entertainment uh, from Hollywood or from Bollywood or from from Seoul, if people are c- consuming that entertainment are totally okay with the corruptions in the industry. Uh, there's there's no reason for anybody yeah. there to change. So that's actually a really good segue into um, what you brought up with uh, Park Shihu. And oh, yeah. um, just to do a brief recap of what happened, in case some of our listeners don't know, a couple of years ago he was accused of rape by a girl who he had gone or a woman, I'm sorry, that he had gone on a, I think they had, it was like their first date, it was a blind date, and she became so drunk that he ended up, um, well, there's footage of him carrying her unconscious body into his apartment, Mm -hmm. and then they slept together, and then the next day she said that he raped her, and he said it was consensual, and um, he was kind of, I think he was eventually 
not charged, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I can't remember. Or they settled. I think they settled. Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. And yeah, then, they did settle. Right. They settled, and then he was kind of persona non grata for a while, and then, like, I think six or eight months ago, he came back, and I think, actually, his drama that he started, and it was, like, a weekend drama, which... Mm-hmm. It was, and yeah. he was the romantic lead. I mean, he did one before that, but he was kind of the villain, and I don't think anybody watched that. But this one, he was the romantic lead in a family weekend drama. It got great ratings. Um, yes. That makes me want to puke. Like I, just, yeah, yeah. My my golden life, and yeah, and it's a <sighs> since it's a weekend drama. That means like how many? You know, that means fifty hours. Right. Fifty-two hours. I, I'm just checking it. Fifty-two hours of him on on TV, and 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 I was watching it on a bus. You know, I was sitting on a on a bus going one of the inner city buses going to another town, and uh, that was the drama that was playing because the the weekend dramas are the dramas that are the most popular with the widest audience and exactly. with the, with yeah. all of the older women who take the bus. And uh, so, so you, so yeah, coming from having, having read all of the details of that, that story or read a lot of them and having found like that rape case, so egregious, um, yeah. you know, it was really a case that where they, you know, they settled, even though they settled, it was not a case where you could, anyone could argue that, oh, he was a great guy. Like yeah. it was not, it was not one of those. Um, it was yeah. pretty egregious. Pogo, you want to go ahead? Uh, yeah, I do. The thing that I noticed uh, is that this was a KBS weekend drama, right? My Golden Life. Yeah. That's yeah. A, and, yeah. and weekend shows on KBS tend to be ones that get incredibly high ratings. They go up into the 40s, 50s, if they're particularly successful an average weekend drama in that time slot on that channel can go up to 30, no problem. And that's just normal. The thing, yeah, and, and now he's up for another KBS drama, which makes me think that somebody in that network is really, really invested in rehabilitating this guy's career. Yeah. Like, so and and so that there is a definite, I think, an agenda there. I I don't think he just got that role by chance. Somebody knew what it would do, what it could do for him, and they chose to give him this opportunity on a platter, which is which yeah, it disgusts me because it amounts to reputation laundering in a sense. Yeah, yeah. and I think I remember when the trial was going on before they kind of settled and the case was thrown out. That I remember people online talking about how he comes from a very influential background um and he comes from i think i don't want to say something wrong but he comes from a powerful family who's not only rich but like influential so i'm sure that has something to do with it yeah yeah and and another thing that has to do with is that the that those weekend dramas which which do get high ratings no matter what pretty much um but those weekend dramas are aimed at this audience of older people who, in a way, how, how do I say it? You know, the it, fe- feminism does not exist in Korea. It exists in a very, very, very small group of, of young people. And so the generation that is watching uh, the latest Park Shihu drama, that generation is a generation that not only has does not have 
many feminists in it, but also possibly a generation that really that look at something like that rape case and say, oh, well, that woman deserved it because she drank alcohol or, oh, that woman deserved it. She went out with an actor. Um, yeah. because that is, because that's what conservative old people, you know, that, that is the, the attitude here and in a lot of countries. Yeah. I think that's not, that's, that's not something that's, you know, limited to, to Korea. It's pretty, mm-hmm. yeah. You, yeah. Um, Pogo, did you want to have, did you have something to say? Yeah. Uh, and I also think that there's, uh, there's, there's a difference in how that generation perceives sexual consent, and yes. what is acceptable in sexual relations between men and women versus how we do it. There it's, a, oh, she didn't say no means, well, you know, she's that's an implied yes. Whereas we've sort of grown into this idea of there has to be an informed consent. Right. And when that doesn't happen, which obviously it can't happen with a drunk woman, when when um, your facilities are compromised in a sense, then you can't have that consent. And to us, that's rape. But that's not how that generation sees it. So I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, get, I get that perspective and how and how they'd excuse, well, or accept his incident as a result. Yeah, and I think, yeah, okay. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I when I saw that he was getting back into dramas, it made perfect sense that it's a weekend drama for all of those reasons. Hmm, interesting. And I, I just want to also bring up that the fact that I remember, and this is even, I mean, I, I don't follow as much the, the Korean internet netizen response because I just find the translation sometimes... That whole thing is, it can be kind of toxic, (laughs) but I remember reading a lot of the, you know, like the international community, even saying things like, um, well, she accepted a settlement. That means that she was lying or like that she accepted the settlement. So she got what she wanted and he should just be free to live his life and move on. You know, like as if, because to me, the fact that he settled and he gave her that money means that he actually did something wrong. But a lot of people were taking it as, oh, well, she got, she got what she wanted. She just wanted the money, you know? Um, yeah. And it almost meant that they didn't have to feel bad anymore for what she had gone through. <laughs> I mean, that was, and and it also kind of relates to um, the Kim Hyun-jung case in that way too, because then there's also that aspect in that case where like, it's such an egregious um, case of abuse. And yet the fact that there was some kind of settlement money that changed hands, it suddenly makes everything okay. I, I just... Oh, um, Burma, do you want to do you want to jump in? Burma's yeah, um, listening, but yeah, let's, <laughs> let's have you jump in. Yeah. Hey guys, uh, um, you guys can hear me, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Yay. Yay. Okay. Hey guys, Yeah. I just had uh, uh, one thing to add to the whole um, Pakshi Hu thing. So around the time, like 2016, when he made his comeback after like three years of hiatus, he was just doing some international stuff and a movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had like he had tried to make a comeback before that, but uh, the general the netizens were like super negative about it, so he dropped it. I think it was Golden Cross that he was trying to come back with. 
so he didn't take the role and after that the next time um i don't exactly remember what drama this was but it was in 2016 and his agency did this trick that they sued uh, 79 netizens for negative comments on his comeback and they did it just really? as his new drama was releasing so it effectively silenced uh, you know detractors and and didn't allow you know the, the wave that had previously stopped him from making a comeback to happen again so he and once the drama was on air and it was you know being received by as you guys said a, a side of the population that didn't really care about his scandal if you will so much then uh, yeah the, once that happened then he was pretty much in the clear okay i'm done i'm out bye guys thank you for sharing that <laughs> interesting and sad yeah in fact okay it's interesting that parma brought up golden cross just now because uh, i just checked it and that was a kbs drama too Mm, really lends a lot of credence to my theory that somebody at that network is very, 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 very invested in rehabilitating mm. this guy's career. And mm-hmm. his biggest hit before that, The Princess's Man, which was a 2011 drama, was also at KBS. So I just think it's got yeah. a lot to do with him having connections there, and mm-hmm. as a consequence, a lot of backing from yeah. a very powerful channel. Yeah, yeah. I definitely see that. Um, should we can, should we talk about the Kim Hyun-jun case for a few minutes, and then I want to get into the specifics of like K dramas as a as a cultural product. <laughs> um, I'm sure you are familiar with the case of Kim Hyun-jun, but just to refresh, um, he I think it was three four years ago now, but um, his ex girlfriend went to the police um, with with some like. evidence like pictures and stuff of her ha- him having beat her up um and i think she was pregnant at the time and there was also evidence that sh- his family had tried to get her to you know go to the doctor with them under kind of shady circumstances and she was afraid for her baby's life and um so it became a huge thing i think he he even admitted to doing it although he said like i was I was practicing taekwondo with her and she got her and broke What? her rib which is like oh yeah that oh. that was his excuse. What? Yeah. yeah. Um and there was like you know there was medical reports there were pictures it was very clear and mm-hmm. I remember at that time there was people who were completely disgusted and then there was this very vocal I don't know if it was a minority if this is fans but they were like she she made him do it like she she must have done something uh, why else would he hit her like oppa is good he wouldn't do anything Like it was crazy and like his company eventually just sent him to the military as like damage control because he was coming up for military anyway and this was like a good way to just get him out and make him look penitent or whatever so he kind of apologized or whatever and like I remember seeing the pictures of his fans seeing him off when he was going to the military and there were like crowds of women there and it just blew my mind so yeah you want to yeah i remember i remember the pictures but i don't yeah i don't i'm not sure i i don't know much about the case in is the specifics of it yeah yeah no i mean i i followed the case pretty closely because i remember it just being very um i think it was the first one that's really shaken because there have been a few since then with like k-pop stars and stuff um and but i think that was the first one in this generation of of stars that i think kind of shook the international fandom in this way or that was 
kind of shocking because before that it was all like, oh, these pretty boys that dance and they're so lovely and they're in K-dramas and we love them. And it was a very, it was the first look at the uglier side of the entertainment industry for a lot of fans who had until now just had this really idealized picture of the whole thing. And I'm talking about like internationally. Uh, so basically the thing I've noticed about the Korean idol industry is that they literally sell people as products as in they yes. it's not just about how well you know how good you are at, at you know the actual performance and the music it's about as they call it the whole package but to me it's really mostly about image and personality and when it comes to that it ends up with fans needing to believe this illusion that their idol is a certain way. For a lot of us, I think in the case of, say, if you're a fan of a Western pop star, like, okay, I was a, I was a Madonna fan growing up, and I didn't really care about what she did in her private life. But with a K-pop star, that's <laughs> it runs a little differently because you're selling them the whole, you're selling them the whole person, as it were, and to keep the fandom going they need to believe in the illusion that the person isn't problematic or isn't or well is good right. in some way right so, that's such a good point yeah so basically i guess what what happens when you come up against a case like kim hyun jung is you're asking these fans to accept that the whole image was a lie and some of them just can't do it because it means their own judgment has been called into question. And all that time and love yeah. and, and energy and everything that they put into him. Yeah, yeah. Odessa, go ahead. Well, it's a different response than you get in the United States. It's interesting that in the United States, you get people writing articles saying, oh, can we still enjoy this person's movies? if this person is horrible to women or can we still enjoy this person's the, the movies this person made or the TV shows this person is in you see people discussing that and the flip side is in Korea there's no question about that like if you genuinely believed somebody was a bad person you wouldn't be able to watch their their things or you wouldn't be able to appreciate their work at all like because the work is so deeply dependent on this, on the way the personalities are sold. And and so I think that's why it's in some ways even harder to have a Me Too movement here, because the, in America, the entertainment industry can say, oh, well, Harvey Weinstein's bad. We don't want to work with him anymore, but we're still we're still happily going to watch all of these movies that he made with his studio for decades and decades. Yeah, there's in a whole Korea, separating the art from the artist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas in, in the Korean industry, if if you genu if you know that Peck Shi who is a terrible person, then you can't justify him being in dramas. You can't justify watching his dramas. The thing with uh, the thing with that whole argument about being able to watch the movies or the uh, the creative output of somebody who's proven to be a terrible person. My personal take on it is that I get how people can do that because sometimes great creative gifts are given to awful people. And there's, there's definitely an argument to be made that people who aren't terrible should be able to um, appreciate, not, not appreciate exactly, but take away whatever that 
art gives them without having to take away the well the whatever makes the person who made that art bad mm-hmm. whereas yeah. in korea because you've got this whole concept of you know this person must be a certain way before that before they're allowed to face the public but if you have a public facing job dependent on your image then your private life has to be the certain way too mm-hmm. it's not the same but i get both sides of the argument because entertainment industries by default are image dependent it's just a question of degree and how much you're expected to buy into the image because i think most consumers of western media or at least for the for the most part i think we know that isn't we're willing to accept that that's just an image and that people can turn out differently and that it's as much and that it's a role whereas in korea i think it's kind of it's expected that that well your private life has to hold up to scrutiny too mm. and i think there's a reason for that which is not i i think i think everybody in every culture is kind of equally equally has to wrestle with the fact that actors are acting that's not true you know yeah, we, like exactly. this is the fundamental like problem that you have to go through in your brain every time you watch acting uh, you know that you know they're lying to you but you want them to lie to you so you have to reconcile that in your mind somehow and in and it's easier to make that jump in western entertainment because i think western entertainment is so focused on ju- on selling action and not morals and not sincerity and yeah, korean really yeah mm. i mean i think korean storytelling and i think this might apply i i haven't watched as much storytelling from other asian countries but i think i see it in a lot of asian storytelling that they are selling the importance of sincerity your characters are your your characters their greatest virtue is their sincerity is this person uh believable is this person honest does this person show us their true emotions uh, that's why we have so many men crying in east asian dramas even though like i don't see men around me crying at all here in <laughs> but in the dramas you mean it's not true odessa <laughs> you've shattered all my illusions <laughs> actually I'll, i'll tell you some crying stories later so i've got some good ones but uh, but in general like the reason the crying comes into the dramas or the reason i do have colleagues who will like burst into tears at a going away event or something is because that's how these men show their sincerity and uh that's a that's a sign of sincerity sincerity is really important and with that being like the most important thing in korean dramas then the fact that actors are lying to you becomes more of an issue and more of a problem yeah like yeah i definitely see that um so actually this kind of leads me to the next question that i wanted to ask you um in that does this i mean I think we always knew this kind of stuff was going on maybe in recent months it's become clearer how widespread and entrenched and everything it was. Oh yes, side note. Odessa hmm. Jones wrote a great piece about men's tears and we will link to that in the show notes. So <laughs> Thank you. Check it out. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to we're going to oh. the link to that. Um so I guess what I want to ask is has this kind of upswell and this kind of 
uh, you know, bugs crawling out under the rock that we lifted up kind of thing? Has it changed the way that you watch entertainment in general and, you know, Korean drama specifically? Did you always kind of have this, like, same idea that you have now about, I guess, can you separate the art from the artist? And have you have your feelings changed recently about this? Ooh, that's such a tough question. And I love that Pogo brought this up already about can you separate the art from the artist? Yeah. I, I have to say I go I, I'm with Pogo in that I I wrestle with that question. I don't have a clear answer to that question at all. I and, and it's it's been a dilemma for me with some with some of the people who've uh, been accused of of terrible things in American in American entertainment. Uh, but but in Korean, in with the Korean things that I watch, I it has not changed how I watch them much, and I think that might be because since I always watched Korean dramas as an outsider to this culture, I always had this part of my mind which was like watching out and being careful and looking to see how are they treating women here? Is this scene good? Is this scene problematic? And so my reaction to those problematic scenes now is the same as it was in the past. I'm, I'm still paying attention to those and noticing those. And, and my favorite writers of dramas and my favorite dramas in general, uh, I think the, the biggest factor in making a drama one of my favorites has always been how do they treat women in this drama? Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up being a cultural outsider when it comes to Korean dramas. I just want to put a pin in that and just say like, in terms of the separating the art from the artist, um, for me, and I agree, it's, as you both said, it's kind of tough to wrestle with at times, especially when it's someone who, um, you know, with the, in terms of American celebrities, it's a lot of times someone you've grown up loving. So it's a little bit different from somebody that you begin to be a fan of as an adult. I think we're a lot, <laughs> we have these, you know, rose-colored glasses of nostalgia that are sometimes that cloud our judgment. I think for me now it's more like if I don't know what a person is like behind closed doors, I just don't know. And I'm just probably just going to watch their stuff. If I find out something about them, that's pretty clearly bad. I think maybe I will still have fond memories of things I've watched from the past. I don't think I can watch anything new or like put my money into something that they've created just because I don't, I, I just can't, especially when I know how, um, I'm sure this is true of every entertainment industry, but here in like Hollywood and stuff, the way that resources and money and opportunities are reserved so specifically for a small amount of people. And there are so many people who are talented, who are, you know, um, women and women of color and like other people of color and people who are disabled and like people who just don't get to make their projects and they don't get those opportunities. And yet we have extremely terrible people who are just keep getting moved like how many movies mm -hmm. has Woody Allen made now you know like yeah and he still is getting awards and nobody really talks about yeah so mm -hmm. yeah so that's it's it's tough though um Pogo go ahead uh, if you have a point to make uh, about that the thing you mentioned about a really small number of people getting opportunities and resources put into them again and again and again it's interesting because I've noticed that with a lot of recent diversity efforts, the the pushback against them has been 
oh, we're going to be lowering our standards by admitting mm. more people into the pool, into into the pool that gets considered for these projects. The I'm not racist, no. but crowd. Yeah. yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not racist, but you know, they're just maybe they're just not good enough. Mm. Whereas yeah. the re- whereas we've had enough recent successes that actively advocate and feature diversity that you know people I would actually like to have people think of it the other way that instead of lowering standards it's just opening up the pool to equally good actors who wouldn't have got the chance otherwise yeah like to bring up say uh, to bring up a western media example look at star wars you know yeah uh, Basically, the first two trilogies, the the ones made between 1977 and 2005, were essentially, it had one type of person and mostly a lot of men. Yeah. But there's been an insane amount of pushback against the fact that the lead of the new trilogy is a woman and that the lead of, and, the, and that the lead of the spinoff, Rogue One, is also a woman and that that spin-off prominently featured people of color in it which is not something that any star wars movie has ever done to this degree yeah and those people turned out to be the biggest fan favorites you know mm-hmm. so For it's sure. really yeah so so what you're getting by getting actors like diego luna or donnie yen into your movie is not a lowering of standards it's just opening up the field to people who would have been who would have had that door shut in their faces before. Exactly. Yeah. And and far from being a lowering of standards, it makes things better. And it's, it's interesting exactly. you mentioned Star Wars because for me, because I was born in the 70s, growing up, the only female role model I remember having was Princess Leia. Like, yeah. that was it. Like, she Aww. was the only strong female character because you know the movies that were on tv at that point the movies on tv were things that were made in the 60s and 70s or the 50s yeah um so until i discovered movies from the 30s that sometimes had good female characters in them um you know pretty much princess leia was it uh, so even in that movie which from today's standpoint looks very looks very white and very male even even that film, it was the female character that gave it so much of what made it a success, definitely. Yeah, <clears throat> and like you said, not only are we, as you both said, not only are we getting really talented people that we haven't gotten a chance to hear from before, it also means that we're getting more interesting and better stories because guess what? We've been seeing the same story of this male white hero for, you know, a hundred years, <laughs> and it's it's a great story, but it's one type of story. And like the more it perspectives you have and the more different types of, you know, experiences you represent on screen, it's just going to make the stories better and more interesting. And we won't have to keep watching the same recycled plot lines over and over again. So. And, and that, that gives me some hope for the entertainment industry because <laughs> I'm a little cynical, but, but, you know, we know that there are, that it is an industry. It's it is about money. It's about what makes money. It's about um, what the profit margins are, and they are always looking for new stories to tell because they need them for to make that profit. And uh, so, 
so like that gives me a little hope that some some people in the industry at least will see that they need those new stories. Those new stories are good for the bottom line. Yes. Uh, you know, when they're there, they spend a lot of time worrying about the bottom line. It's, um, it's a competitive. It's the only, yeah. I think it's the only thing that's really going to change things, as you said. And speaking of the stories that we tell, I wanted to talk about, um, Korean drama specifically. And basically, well, we know that the basic, uh, classic, you know, story of the the Cinder- it's almost like a Cinderella story, or maybe you could call it a Pride and Prejudice Redux, where the guy is rich and he's, you know, cold and he's kind of proud and he's kind of a jerk. And maybe he has some kind of secret pain in his past. And the girl is, you know, she's poor and she's hardworking and she's a doormat and she's very good natured. Um, and a lot of times she has some kind of he has some kind of power over her. Maybe he's her boss. Maybe he's just so disgustingly wealthy um, that that inherent power dynamic is just kind of it's kind of icky in their relationship or you know he has some kind of like I've seen dramas where like she borrows money from him for some kind of you know life-saving operation that she needs for her family or like to help her get out of debt like there's all kinds of ways in which or she's like I don't know she's she's gonna give him her kidney or something I mean we've seen every or she's homeless and he's providing her with a place to stay (laughs) yes there are so many yeah there are so many yeah so um, so this has given us a lot of these tropes, and within these dramas, we have the tropes like you know the wrist grab and um, the the jealous boyfriend. Like once they start dating, a lot of times he's like, "Why are you wearing that? Don't wear that. I don't like the fact that your legs are exposed." Or like um, you know, just uh, his family being disapproving and telling her to to to, to go jo- to get lost, and then you know the um, the makeover in the department store where he basically like remakes her into the image of the girl that he wants. So many. Um, so I guess, oh, and also society telling her, this is a guy that you should be with because he's rich and good looking. Forget his character and the fact that he treats you like garbage. We, we can bring up a lot of examples. Um, but do you think that these tropes are changing? And uh, are they always... I guess first I want to ask, are they always inherently problematic? Or is there a way that we can have these tropes in our dramas? Because we've all enjoyed dramas like this that have this type of plot line, right? Whether it's a guilty pleasure or we were just young and very enamored with this kind of prince character, prince charming character. Do you think there's a way to do these tropes in a way that works and is not problematic? Or do we just need to change the type of story that we tell? One one thing that I've been thinking about a lot is that I would love to reach the point where we didn't have to think about romance stories in a political way, mm. uh, and so that we could tell stories that would have you know, that, that could include every one of these tropes, uh, we, because we know people we know people who fall in love with all kinds of crazy people for all kinds of crazy reasons and. Why not tell all of those stories? Uh, but I don't think we reach that point until women are equally represented in the entertainment industry. And then I think when we reach that point, it, it'll it be less of an issue. But in, until then, when I see the wrist grab or when I see bad behavior, 
uh, I have to think, is that just because a man wrote the script and a man is the director and a man is the cinematographer and a man is the Foley artist and the, the best boy or whatever all those jobs are on the movies. Uh, you know, if women were doing half of those jobs and getting equal pay, uh, would we be having the same stories? Yeah. And, uh, and how do those stories actually deal with them? Uh, Pogo, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, the thing about these tropes is that they keep showing up in entertainment a lot. And they kept showing up in earlier entertainment because they're wildly popular and the stories featuring them are wildly popular. And, and I think uh, it's also worth noting um, before before we uh, start talking about anything else that these things aren't exclusive to Korean entertainment. These tropes aren't exclusive to Korean or even Asian entertainment. That's oh, pretty universal in a, in a sense but they're just rather more concentrated in I think entertainment coming from more conservative societies and a lot of people apparently do find it appealing because look at say Hanayori Dango which was adapted into Boys Over Flowers there's been there have been something like five different tv shows oh my god yes <laughs> in different languages all across Asia and every single adaptation has been a smash hit. And I think we can all agree that 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 the male lead in that one treats the female lead horribly at first. Yeah, and it takes all of these tropes to almost like their worst like yeah. extremes. Yeah, it's terrible. But but even within that, I think there are certain choices made in adaptation that are really questionable. Like in the manga itself, there's a there's an attempted sexual assault by the hero on the heroine. Okay, mm-hmm. like this is while he's still bullying her, etc., etc. All of that. The the Japanese drama, interestingly, leaves that out. Like it has mm-hmm. it, it keeps him a terrible person, a bully, all of that, but it doesn't have him attempt to sexually assault her. The Korean drama, on the other hand, leaves that in, and that's the choice. Yeah, I found the Korean version to be much worse than the Japanese version in in those ways, personally. And it's so interesting that I don't even remember that, and I, I from the Korean version, which makes me wonder, like, how much of our experience of watching dramas is like our ability to forget things, mm. or or not, yeah, not notice them, like forget the most offensive parts that disturb us the most. Yeah. Parma, you want to jump in for a second? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> hey. Hey. So I just have one point about um, women. Um, if, if women were in, had more positions in the industry, would these kind of stories still be told? And as, as much as I think women being in strong positions in the entertainment industry would change narratives, would bring in new stories and all of that stuff, we have to remember that things like Boys Over Flower, uh, they are mostly watched by women. It's women who make them into a success. It's uh, it, like we have, um, what, do you, what do you call that when you just take something into your head, like subconsciously? Internalized. Or, internalized. Internalized. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have internalized. 
internalize uh, sexism to the degree and accepted this kind of alcohol uh, behavior in in these heroes so much that this seems almost normal to us. We know it's bad behavior. We don't want the hero to stay this way, but it's okay for us if the hero at some point behaves like this so long as by the end of the show, you know, he shows a little bit of character development. And yeah, that's all we need apparently. So mm. yeah. Okay, that was my pessimistic view. I'm out again. Bye. Thanks for that, Varma. Poga? Yeah, uh, the thing I also wanted to say about the popularity of these tropes is that, like uh, like Parma said, they feed into internalized misogyny in a big way and also into fantasy. Because you yes. always have this, because you, you have this very badly behaved, rich or more powerful man and the woman in the relatively weaker position, and despite all the bad behavior at the start, what you get by the end is the woman, uh, one way or another, effecting change in the man to a degree where he isn't so terrible anymore. Or, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't even really say they're good by the end, they're just better. But that mm-hmm. that does feed <laughs> that that really does tap into this whole um, this whole idea that we're fed that the right woman will change even the worst man, which yeah. is also it's also a really problematic view. But it's it's a fantasy, and I think a lot of people accept it as such. Because what I've noticed is it it's always the men who are given the license to behave badly in the situation. Mm-hmm. Yes. On one you have on one hand, I I get the appeal of it as a storytelling device because it because it generates conflict at the start of your story and that's a major point from which you can um, you can jump off to changing relationships or changing characters but um, it just doesn't make sense to me other than the obvious explanation which is misogyny that it's always men who are given this leeway and not women. I have a point. I have a point. Um, when when books started getting printed and women were suddenly authors and not just readers, the first stories that women started writing were sort of about women changing life of their men, like changing the men in their lives. And how they, like women were the good moral centers and the men in their life were the sort of rascals and they were like sort of morally compromised until the good woman comes and like that that trope was already there. But women were writing those in more exaggerated ways and that was the hero's journey for the women. Because, because, oh great, my dog's barking. Because women... Because while he, uh, while the troubadours were writing about uh, men journeying afar and you know conquering lands, women had always been like heroines of the hearth, right? So when women started writing, they were also writing from the same old tropes, and that kind of we kind of got stuck in there, where we are like if we change the man in our life and he looks to us and nobody else, then that is our our win. We got the we, we got the treasure. We got the we conquered our continent. So well, yeah, yeah, that kind of speaks to mm-hmm. the inherent like power imbalance in real life, right? Because yeah. in one way, it's that sexism is coming out in the sense of it's the only way that you can really change your life 
if the man has complete power over you or if he has a really big amount of power over you and he changes because of you, then the power is given back to you. But it's problematic because that's not how it works in real life. But I can see the wish fulfillment in that. Mm-hmm. And there's one thing I, I have to add because, Paroma, that was so interesting what you said about women writing these these novels about the women's, the, the hero's journey, woman's style. Um, one of the very earliest English novels is Pamela. And Pamela, I had never actually made this connection to my mind. Uh, Pamela, which came out in 1740. Uh, it's basically the plot of Boys Over Flowers. I can't believe I never noticed this before. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, but, uh, oh, it's, <laughs> the, the title is Pamela or Virtue Rewarded. And uh, it was, it was pr- a pretty over-the-top plot. Uh, and you can imagine the plot was basically just take... Uh, take Boys Over Flowers and put it in uh, 18th century England, pretty much. Wow. That so is... I think there, there's conservati- there's conservatism, like there's conservatism happening in society that makes these stories continue to be appealing. There's also conservatism in storytelling. I think sometimes people find a story that works and they milk it as long as they can. Mm. Yeah, it's the it's the, the the impulse to just keep remaking the same stories over and over and over again that we've seen yes. in every entertainment yeah. industry because apparently there are no good new ideas. Um, which goes back to having more types of stories told, which would solve that problem. But anyway, not to yeah. get back to what we were already talking about. Yeah, let's get Pogo on on this. The thing I wanted to say was that while I understand the appeal of, again, I'm saying this for the hundredth time, I feel, I understand the appeal of the tropes, but it's such lazy storytelling because it often feels like that's the only way, the, that's the only way certain storytellers know to establish a relationship is to have the man be really nasty to the woman first for reasons, assorted reasons, can be anything at all. Like, I'm sure within the story, it's justified. Oh, he had a bad childhood. Oh, he's traumatized. Oh, you know, there's a misunderstanding. But the upshot is ultimately always the same. It's the woman on the receiving end of bad behavior from the man. Yeah, and then and, the, and then the, and then the guy is sort of you know behaving badly some more while he tries to conceal newly growing feelings, I guess. And frankly, I mean, maybe in a single drama, it's it's not that big a deal. But you know, when when you've got one drama after another, after another, just it's it's like it takes a lot of bricks to make a wall, but ultimately that's the wall, right? Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know why and. Personally, I'd like to see more dramas where, you know, you establish a couple's relationship by having them actually behave like they like each other. Like, yes. I'm going to take an example mm-hmm. here. Um, it's <laughs> I'm, I'm, I keep bringing this one up a lot because I love this drama, but Sassy Go Go. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> see, it starts off with as many dramas do, a misunderstanding between uh, between the heroine and a fairly badly behaved hero who is closed off for his own reasons. But that's solved by episode two or three. And from episode three onwards, they're allies. And he's actually realized he likes her and he's not trying to hide it. Yes. And they actually, And that's a relationship that actually grows with them talking, not fighting. Which I, I didn't realize quite 
quite how how refreshing that was until I got to the end of the series. And somebody made the comment that the hero in Sassy was somebody who would most typically be the second lead in any other series. You know? And because, how sad. Yeah. Yeah. And how sad it and, is that, that when the hero actually likes the heroine, it's like surprising and refreshing. <laughs> Like, we're like, wow, this is so great. We never get this. It's, just, it's really yeah. sad. Exactly. He likes her. And he, he enjoys the fact that he likes her. And he's not afraid to show it. And he really, really tries to make to make his point and get it across to her that he likes her. He's yes. not trying to hide in his own feelings. And, you know, his masculinity isn't so fragile that he's threatened by it. And even the way that he shows that he likes her is to be her friend and not yeah. to try to own her in the way that a lot of these heroes exactly. are like, I want to have you now. Now that I've decided that I like you and I don't hate you anymore, I, I need to make you mine in some way. You know, like I need to show that I possess you. But he doesn't do that. He's like just trying to be in her life in a way that makes her life better. Yeah. Odessa, uh, you want to go ahead? Yeah, I think if we want to look for for hopeful signs, I think we can find them definitely in the the rise of this um, this second lead as first lead, let's call him. Uh, yeah. the, the dramas that put front and center a guy who's just really nice and really decent. And I see so many more dramas like that the past few years. Uh, you know, if you go back, I don't know how far back you've watched dramas, but if you go back and watch, um, like, like watching Kim Samsoon, Kim Samsoon is such a beloved show, but the first time I watched it was only a couple of years ago and I was appalled at, at yeah. what an unappealing person the hero is. He's uh, terrible. Young, I mean, it's yeah. young Ben, so we forgive him a lot, but he's terrible. Oh, I hate him. I didn't like him at all at any point in that entire drama. And I watched the whole drama because I'd heard so much about it. I was like, okay, at some point I'll start liking him, right? But I never liked him. Mm. <laughs> and uh, that that was that was interesting for me because that I, I realized, wait, okay, some of the the stuff I'm seeing today in dramas that bothers me is the old stuff, and the stuff I'm seeing that I like is the sort of newer stuff, the the new the new trend. Yeah, and it's been kind of slow enough to change that I think, like you said, we notice it more than noticing it quite as much as it happens. We notice it when we go back to older stuff. And I remember um, we were talking about this on one of our long yaks when we discussed radio romance, but um, Saya was saying how it feels like a little bit of a throwback because of the way that the gender roles are kind of interacting, the way the hero and heroine was interacting. And that's, I mean, it's bad, but in a way it's a good sign because we've gotten used to actually having, I mean, last year we had some really great, complicated, interesting heroines who were, you know, um, flawed and smart and they were like career women. And, um, you know, they had, they had personalities, they had their own dreams. You know, we just did, I'm not a robot. Um, that was our last, mm. like we just reported. And like, She's a, like, Saya brought this up. She's an entrepreneur. She's like an inventor. She, you know, mm -hmm. and she's, so we, we've been getting these better stories about women and it's really, it's really nice to see. Any, any examples that y'all want to bring up? Well, one example that for me is interesting because I don't like, I do not like dramas by the writer Kim Eun-suk, uh, right? Be, uh, she, I have never li really liked a drama by her. 
But her, there's been so much change in the way she writes these relationships. And since her dramas are, they're, they're all dramas coming from the same writer. So you can sort of see the evolution of how she's approached these things because she wrote Secret Garden. Uh, Secret Garden, which has creepy stalker Hyunbin hero in it, right? Um, and then her most recent thing is Descendants of the Sun, which is, you know, about a man and a woman who meet in the first episode and like each other. Um, well, her most recent is actually Goblin, but the Descendants oh, of the true. Sun Sorry, was right Goblin. before that. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, yeah. De- 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 right, Goblin is the most recent, yeah, yeah. But she, oh, and uh, Saya is, Saya, Saya points out to me that the, um, that, those Goblin and Descendants of the Sun are things that she wrote with co-writers. So it's possible that that has an influence on her style. Definitely. Um, but, but there's definitely a different feel to those dramas and they still have her name on them and they still have huge ratings. They do really well. And I don't hear any of my Korean colleagues saying, Oh, I really wish the hero in Descendants of the Sun was meaner to the heroine, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Kim and Suk is, I, yeah, I have, I have issues with her. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you're right. I mean, her more recent ones have been better. And I don't know if that's because she had co-writers, because she's written a lot of dramas, and all the ones before Descendants of the Sun were extremely problematic. They're, they're awful. They're awful. Yeah, they were <laughs> right. terrible. Yeah. It's oh, it's always it's always her heroes are the most entitled. They they always uh, expect to be able to get you. Know, they get whatever they want from the heroine, and her heroines are always these very weak figures who basically let the men walk all over them. I think maybe but the only exception for me. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I think maybe yeah. the only exception for me out of her older dramas would be City Hall, where mm-hmm. they did still have uh, you know where a dynamic where the man had more power, but. <clears throat> I found their relationship to be much more balanced and, uh, you know, it was much more of an equal, like they both had journeys that they had to take to come to each other instead of the woman mm. doing all the work. Like he did a lot of work and he had to do a lot of relationship labor kind of, and, and like character labor. It wasn't her all on her. And it was just a really, I just really love that story. But for me, that's an outlier with her. I don't, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, Secret Garden was a very cracktastic watch, but looking back on it, I mean, it's so terrible. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we're yeah, all she's, in agreement. She's got her one. things. Yeah, she's she's not the best. But the, and then there are other writers who write uh, much better female characters, better male characters, and are not as popular as she is. Yeah. Um, so that's why I find her interesting that she has made these very popular dramas that still have a little some moderation of the, uh, the the arrogant male hero that we saw in the past. Yeah, I know, and it's a good trend, and it's nice to see that, as you said, they were still extremely popular, even with the better heroes. And so it's not that they have to be so um, misogynistic yeah. for, for mm-hmm. people to love them and to fall in love with, you know, those shows. So that's a hopeful, hopeful trend. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to bring up some recent ones where I found that the the heroines were better, um, just mm-hmm. you know, to recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that Me Sang is not really a heroine-centric drama, but I really liked how it showed. Um, I mean, I just love that one in general. It's so good. If you haven't seen it, everyone needs to watch it. But I really liked how it talked about the kind of 
subtle and maybe not always um, blatant sexism that women face in the workplace in terms of what's expected of them and how they're treated in, in relation to their male colleagues. I really liked that. Um, I liked Oh Hey Young again, although I know that people's mileage vary on that heroine um, because it's my first life. I, I mean, the ending was a little bit, it dove off the deep end, but for the majority of it, I really liked how they treated, you know, the female characters. And then there's pretty Nuna who buys me food, which is still airing, but oh my gosh, I'm really interested in where they're going uh -huh. with like how, uh -huh. how they deal with, I mean, it's very head on facing, you know, workplace harassment, relationship violence, you know, it, it's, I don't know if you two are watching it, but I... I have I not started really watching it. I, 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 have, I haven't started it. watching it either. I haven't started. It somehow yeah. balances an extremely cute love story with, like, some really serious issues about, like, how women are treated in society. And I'm really interested in where it's going. I mean, it, it's always potentially can take a very bad left turn, but I'm, I'm hopeful. Oh, well, I really want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Any favorites that you want to bring up? Mm, Pogo? Um, Nah, Odessa, you go first. I'm, I'm still thinking. Oh, okay. Um, uh, well, one of the one of the first. So this is going back a couple of years, but I the first drama I ever actually watched in real time was It's Okay, That's Love, and that I was hooked. I, I that that got me hooked because the heroine was so complex, and and I was one of the people who loved her. Other people didn't like her. Uh, this is the challenge with uh, with complex heroines uh but but for me that show was so amazing uh because of the complexity that it brought to all of its characters and also because of the way that it took like the the it gave us in in the the hero is an alpha he does he does all the alpha male stuff at the beginning and is a jerk at the beginning and then we learn that he's being an alpha male because of mental illness and so that actually like that behavior the typical typical Korean drama hero behavior is constructed as something that is a flaw that he has to like get mm -hmm. over. Um, so, so it's, it's a smart drama in that sense, in the way it approaches all of that. Um, and then also like some of the fluffiest, some of the fluffiest dramas are also the ones that just make this stuff the easiest. Uh, oh, what, Am I th I'm thinking of the ones that I watched to get over the Trump election. Uh, <laughs> that, I needed a lot of K-drama therapy for that one. <laughs> yeah, that I would not have made it through that winter without weightlifting fairy Kim Bok-ju and shopping yes. in Louis. Oh, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We love that around here. Those and, and weightlifting fairy, of course. I mean, that's just, just a perfect rom-com. Uh, in ha having a hero who's just, yeah, who, who's kind of, uh, there's never anything problematic in that entire drama, <laughs> basically, yeah. uh, which is so exciting, uh, watching a K-drama and at no point being like, why is he treating her badly like that? Uh, there's none of that in that. And, and also that was the winter that Shopping King Louie was on. And, uh, and I find that, uh, the actor... The, I don't know if you guys watched that, but I love that show. Mm. And uh, Saw so, yes. so Gook is an actor who yeah. has, he's never chosen a part in which he's mean to women. Um, I don't know any other actor who can say that, that he's been the first Ooh, lead in right. lots of things, but where he was never mean. But he, like, I know if he chooses a part, that uh, the character is going to be a nice guy. Um, 
I don't know if that'll stay if that'll stay the case. And I know his his career is not. I don't know if it'll ever take off, but um, there are some actors like that. You got to watch out for them. And yeah. then there are other actors who pretty much don't seem to care. Uh, like Hyun Bin, if he's in something, it could be awful, you know. Mm. And I think um, we we love Ji Sung around here, so mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. interesting how like I, I wouldn't say that Ji Sung has never chosen a drama that's in which he's mean to women because hello secret but i think secret love I like yes he was in yeah. the secret See, but i feel I like mentioned him i had to go to side and gook because jisung yeah. excluded himself yeah he's disqualified I, mean, I feel like that that drama is not trying to show that as a behavior that a hero should have and it's not really yeah. trying to show it in a positive light so i mm-hmm. i don't know i think he kind of gets yeah. a pass for that one considering all yeah. the other things that he's done like kill me heal me and um mm-hmm. Just, I just love him in everything. Like he was amazing in Defendant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've watched his stuff going way back, and to to some like ridiculous history dramas, and he's in these history dramas where even in these history dramas that are set two thousand years ago, he's like incredibly nice to every female character. <laughs> so, and then you have his real life personality, and then you're just like, I'm a puddle of goop. Yeah, take my money. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to watch everything that you ever made. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Pogo. So, yeah, I mean, I've really liked this rise of the beta male over the last few years. I think it's something that's been coming for a while now. And I think that really the first drama I watch where I can pinpoint the, the, where I can pinpoint the hero being a nice person to the heroine throughout and not being mean to her at any point that I could think of was I Hear Your Voice. Oh, like, yeah. Run yeah. as a writer seems to be pretty good at doing these relationships where um, where her leads are kind of equals in a sense, if not material equals, then at least emotional equals. You don't have this thing of you you don't have this thing where he tries to be mean to her to hide feelings or, you know, have a major misunderstanding or whatever. And that's something I noticed in Pinocchio too, you know total equality between the leads of course it's it's achieved by having them be from the same family i mean that that is not as well as it sounds it's not real incest it's sort of fake adopted in but it's it's but it it does approach their relationship as being something that starts with them on equal footing and it mm-hmm. keeps it that way throughout so you know nobody has Nobody really has a power imbalance and and nobody's playing noble idiot or being mean to each other. They have their ups and downs, but it's kind of, it, it kind of makes sense as between the characters and not, and not as them following a trope. Uh, another one was, of course, Weightlifting Fairy, which, which, which mm-hmm. was kind of amazing. Like, I just couldn't believe my eyes when I saw it. Like, you've got this, yeah. who is never an asshole. He's, he's, He's sweet all the way through, and it was astonishing to me. Mm-hmm. And this heroine, who, well, is just kind of dense, but and they fight and they squabble, but they're friends, you know. Again, it, yeah. it approaches as them being equal, and not uh, and not really needing that kind of conflict to um, to well make their relationship grow or change. You don't you don't need conflict leaning into misogyny there 
another one, another one, again, quite a few 2017 dramas, actually. Another one was Fight My Way, where, again, they're lifelong friends, they're both struggling. Mm. And, and, and if at any point somebody is struggling with their feelings, it's just them being really thick and, you know, not looking to the other person. Yeah. Like, sure, they'll tell, sure, they'll tell each other, hey, mind your own business. But he's not treating her badly and neither is she treating him badly there. Like, that, that's something that Pak so Jun does really well. He plays nice people he in a way does. that mm-hmm. makes it as swoony as, you know, an asshole hero changing. Like, having yeah. a nice person realize their feelings can be just as effective as, well, a not nice person having to change. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, and you don't have to get over your initial disgust of them. Bonus, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? exactly. And then, uh, of course, yeah, Odessa brought up Soyinguk, and I'm gonna bring up the first thing I saw him in, which was, of course, Answer Me 1997. Again, yes. a lifelong yes. there, you know, lifelong friends, and there's no shortage of conflict between them, and the friendship even breaks at one point, but he's never mean to her, and. He, yeah, he might be the top student, but, you know, I think the drama makes a really good point of showing them within the relationship on equal footing. You know, he might be a young drudge or a genius or whatever, but it doesn't make him better. And the drama doesn't treat him as though he's better than her for that. And I want to yeah. just... Yeah, and like, and also, um, Father is Strange was another 2017 drama that oh, yeah, yeah. had great relationships. Yeah, it had a lot of relationships, and all of them were, you know, the relationship with the, between the parents and the relationship between um, all of the siblings and their romantic partners. The one that was kind of problematic was the one between um, the Yuri's in laws, who like the dad was terrible to the mom, and like. She basically becomes her mother-in-law's legal advocate and like has like a verbal beatdown with her father-in-law. And it's great. It's awesome. Like they I love that part. So I mean that was a really great one for relationships. And like to your point, Pogo, um, and a lot of the dramas we brought up also like School 2017 was great in that way. I like how we're getting so many friendship before love dramas, you know, the yeah. friends to lovers. I feel like that trope has become a lot more common and it's kind of been in concert with the front with the um the rise of the beta male because it's so great to have like you said two people who actually really like each other before they become in love and it provides that conflict that we used to get from um the initial relationship being yeah the initial relationship being we've had a misunderstanding or you're just a terrible person and we hate each other to I really like you. In fact, I love you so much as a friend that I'm afraid of what's going to happen to our relationship if we start a romantic relationship. And that's such a more compelling conflict to me because you're already so invested in their relationship and you're invested in liking both of the leads. Go ahead. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the thing, the thing that's great about friendship to lovers dramas is that, okay, they're hard to pull off because I think they're hugely dependent on chemistry. You mm. need leads who you need leads who are who feel relaxed and easy enough around each other to be believable as best friends, but who at the same time can take it up to actual intensity and being swoony when they realize, well, 
they're not just friends anymore. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yes. It's so a good need to carry off Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, which is why I think they're probably tricky to cast, whereas I guess the conflict to romance relationship is a little easier because, you know, it's just, oh, fireworks and then, you know, kind of calm. Mm. Whereas it's, Whereas you've got a, you've got a slightly different style of progression for friendships to lovers dramas, you know you need it's it, it's really dependent on the actors and and I don't see that always being believable, though I do think that in cases like Answer Me or Fight My Way or School 2017 even, uh, they work because of the actors. Yeah, and I think even with the traditional kind of um, I hate you until I love you dramas. Yeah. They also sometimes run into that problem with chemistry because sometimes you can really believe them as enemies, and when they yeah. like each other, it just doesn't work. Like you, know, you maybe in the writing it yeah. works, but those two characters don't have that romantic chemistry. Hmm. Yeah, and and the thing about these, um, the thing about it is that my test for chemistry is: Do I want to see these two characters continue to interact? Like, do I actually look forward to them interacting? And if the answer is no, then, yeah, that's a negative for chemistry. Yes, I agree. Hmm. Like, it's not just about people looking pretty together or, you know, even individually being good actors. It's kind of more about just how they vibe and how they fit the roles. And, yeah, and and some and sometimes K-dramas can just get it, get their priorities really skewed on casting. So I think that's more of a behind-the-scenes issue. Absolutely. Mm. Do you, does anybody have anything else that they'd like to add to the discussion before we go into our conclusion? I just wanted to say who the two writers are who who I think have done like some really great, so the best scripts in recent years in these terms, uh, really addressing like the complexities of these power relations between men and women. Um, the, and and the, neither of these writers have anything that's like coming out this year. So it's driving me crazy. I want so much to see some more stuff from them. Um, but the first one is Jong Song Ju. And she did the script for Secret Love Affair, um, which had oh. Secret Love Affair oh. is really Very like, I think, the best K-drama I've ever seen. It's so good. Um, that's the one with Yua in and... Um, and can yes. uh, yes, yeah. can hear. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and um, it's it's really one of the best dramas, one of the best stories I've ever seen. It's so good. But then she also wrote "Heard It Through the Grapevine," and "Heard It Through the Grapevine" takes this. Oh my god, "Heard It Through the Grapevine" is so good. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, and it sorry. takes right the the structure of the story is kind of a traditional structure. You've got a boy who's really wealthy. You've got a girl who's definitely not wealthy and how are they going to make this work and his family opposes them etc cetera, etc cetera. but you know she takes that structure and she gives it a totally new a totally new spin and the characters are just very very three-dimensional characters and the the guy the the male lead the the boy who has gotten his girlfriend pregnant is just a cream puff and um <laughs> It's a fascinating am, those two are on my list. I haven't watched either one of them, but yeah, yeah, they're For they're sure. both amazing. Yeah. I've heard great things. And, and, um, it's like thirty episodes, but so worth the investment. So yeah, yeah go and, ahead. And Secret Love Affair. Oh my gosh, that one is like I don't know. Like if Tolstoy wrote a K drama, it would be Secret <laughs> Love Affair. I'm telling wow, you. Wow, that's high praise. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so the, so I wish she would do something uh, that soon. Her last thing was heard it through the grapevine in 2015. So I want to know where she is. Um, and also I want to know where Kwon Ki-yong is uh, because she did a, but she's done a few things that were just so interesting and so unusual. Um, she did Hello Monster, which had mm-hmm. Son Gook yeah, and, and uh, Park Bo Gum. Yeah. And Park Bo Gum, right. Killer. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, it's ostensibly about a serial killer. It's very, uh, it's just a very unusual, unusual story. It's so got Jang Nara. As, so Jang Nara good. is a very tough female character and a very independent, interesting female character in that. Um, but then she also did Protect the Boss, which takes, which has Ji Song and a, a traditional, you know, ostensibly a traditional story of like a rich chaebol with problems and the woman who tames him. Uh, but she did some really interesting things with that. Her the script is really good. The characters are interesting, and she she makes it very entertaining. The 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 creepy aspects of that power imbalance are never there in that script. And then yeah. she wrote All About My Romance. And All About My Romance, I might be the only person who's ever watched it. I watched it. I'm the other person. Oh, I love that oh, drama. Nobody person. else knows. <laughs> it's so good. I'm the other person. It's such a great script. And it doesn't have much chemistry between the leads. Like, I never felt like there. it was not perfect. Um, but the script was so good. It was so good. And they were just two human beings who were like, you know, in, in the... It's such a great drama. Sorry, maybe you could say something more. Yes, no, I was just going to say, like, this is a writer whose work I've always loved, and I always forget her name. But, yes, I love all of her stuff. So thank you for bringing her up. Um, And as Saya is a big Ham Young-hee fan, and I also, I haven't watched a lot of her stuff, but she wrote Mm -hmm. um, High Society, Doctors, Temperature, um, One Warm Word. The only one of those that I've watched to completion is One Warm Word, but I loved it. And I found it very smart about relationships. Um, so I, I find that people don't respond as well to hers. Mm-hmm. But Saya really loves her. So shout mm-hmm. out. And I also yeah, really I, I've actually only seen, I've only seen High Society of her stuff. But High Society had a really interesting uh, take on things. It, was, it wasn't great, but... Uh, but it was it, it was also taking sort of traditional what what could have been a traditional story and messing with it and telling it in a different way, and especially the secondary romance, which was a, a rich man poor girl romance that sounds like you've seen that a billion times. Uh, but she took the the rich boy poor girl romance and made the characters so three dimensional. Uh, and it had Pak Kyung Sheik in it, which helped. He was yes. he was spot on. <laughs> yes. and, uh, we love and him. Yeah. No, she's yeah, definitely like. Yeah, she's definitely like a writer's writer. You can tell she really mm-hmm. thinks about this a lot, and she really, you know, is deliberate with what she wants to address, like the issues that she wants to address. But she does it in a. I, I like. I really love her dialogue. To be honest, mm-hmm. the, another yeah. um, writer that I want to bring up is Park Yun Sun who wrote Alone mm. in Love back in the day. I love that drama. She's also oh, done Age of Youth, one. season one and two. Oh my God, Age of Youth. Yes, I love Wild that. Romance, I which was so extremely unpopular, but I really liked it. Um, oh. She did White Christmas. Yeah, she is amazing. Oh, White and Christmas. I've, oh my God. Christmas. Yeah, and I've also seen Mrs. Kim's Million Dollar Quest, which is like a very much older drama. It's from 2004, but I watched it back in the day. But I've noticed with her as well that 
I love the way that she does relationships between men and women. Like she is uh-huh. so smart, not just between men and women, but just the people in her dramas are real people and they interact like real people and they make you cry. And they, but mm-hmm. I don't think, and even when she writes bad people, she writes them in a way that is so interesting and so true to life and things have mm-hmm. consequences and they have fallout. And it's just really, I just love her. I just really, really love everything. Oh, so this is Park Yeon-sun. Park Yeon-sun. Park Yeon-sun yeah. Okay, cool. I'll look for that. Yeah. Yeah, you should start with Age of Youth, actually. That's just 12 episodes. Mm-hmm. So it's, it goes by really easily. Yeah. Have you seen Age of Youth, uh, Odessa? I have not. No, I haven't actually seen Age of Youth. So, yeah, I'm going to have to put that on my list straight away. Highly recommend. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe my ending question to both of you would just be, um, we kind of talked about the cultural conversation in Korea and base, and internationally about all of this Me Too stuff and sexual harassment and abuse scandals. And it's made me think a lot about how after Pakune was, you know, arrested, like resigned and she arrested and Mm. she got arrested, sorry, and put in jail. And there were a ton of drama about prosecutors and lawyers and police fighting against (laughs) corrupt people in high positions of power. Like we had a rash of them. And I I, I know because I recap like three of them. (laughs) So... I got really tired of watching prosecutor dramas, but I just, (laughs) I'm wondering, do you think that um, this kind of social movement is going to translate into dramas in the next two, three years? Do you think that people are going to change? You know, they've already been changing, but do you think we're going to see a little bit more of a change in the characters and the storylines that we see? I I hope we'll see some stories that uh, that take this stuff on more directly, mm-hmm. that challenge these topics directly, and I think it's possible we will because we've already seen some of these um, these new kind this new kind of hero coming into the the trendy weekday dramas. So so it's not that far of a leap to go a little further and and write about some of these topics. Um, that, that's, a, that's a hopeful, that's, that sounds very hopeful. I'm not always hopeful when I'm walking around the streets in Korea. There's, a, there's a lot of problems with gender relations here. Yeah. Uh, but, but thinking about these dramas, there are these writers who are really trying to re-envision how things could be. And I think, um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm hopeful that this is where we're going with Pretty Nuna who buys me food. I know maybe it's a little naive to think that something that happened so recently can, affect a drama that's not been that's been in production for a while but I I really like how like it's like you're saying it's really taking these issues on head-on and from what I've seen in the writing so far like I think that maybe this writer has the ability to deal with these topics in a really interesting way so Mm-hmm. Let, let's all watch that and, and <laughs> reconvene and talk about it fingers crossed yeah yes yes I'm hopeful Pogo did you want to yeah, uh, yeah. The thing about uh, the Pakunhe, the entire Choi Soon Shil or whatever her name was, that was the name, right? Yes, the so-called shaman. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the so-called shaman who had her in a thrall and such. Uh, yeah. It's funny because the drama I was watching around that time, when uh, at probably at the peak of the demonstrations, was Rebel People Stole the People, which obviously yeah. couldn't deal directly with any with couldn't deal directly with this specific political issue because it's a saguk. But mm. 
it did something really interesting in drawing a lot of parallels between uh, between I guess what the production perceived were the issues with um, with Takunhe and uh, well the historical story they were telling, which was the story of um, of probably Korea's worst king ever, mm-hmm. and um, and you know and the people who opposed him. So I. It, it, it's a different kind of story for me, and and it uh, it did something very interesting. And for Sagok, which is that usually, if you've seen Sagoks, they're about kings and princes and like people in power. This did something. This this kind of spun that around by making its hero a member of the lower classes, you know, and not giving him a birth secret to make him uh, suddenly a prince or a noble mm. or something like that. Mm. Which uh, which I thought was really interesting because the traditional story of Hong Gildung involves him being somebody's, being an aristocrat's illegitimate mm. son. And this right. drama purposely avoided it, made him the son of a slave, made him go in opposition to, uh, to this very powerful and uh, very wrong ruler and made him do it as a collective effort, which ah. I thought was really, really interesting and something that I hadn't seen before. I love that. And I love that you bring up um, a saga particularly because <laughs> I feel like sometimes fantasy or uh, science fiction or historical or dramas that take place in another setting and not our like so-called real world can discuss or or like tackle some of the issues that we're dealing with in a much more effective way because you can kind of sneak up on people <laughs> or you can you can come around from an angle that they weren't expecting and maybe reach people that you wouldn't have otherwise reached if you are just doing like a very straight on like this is a story about this and you are yeah. going to learn a lesson you know <laughs> and here's the moral and then people are like I'm done taking my vitamins yeah. for today thank you very much yeah. like so yeah absolutely um, yeah, the thing about Rebel is that it it addresses equality in a sense, not just I mean economic equality, gender equality, and that's something that I don't often see in Sagoks, because it's mm-hmm. it's so often just a given that you know this is the this is the power dynamic, this is the gender dynamic, this is how it is, and this is how it will remain, and maybe you know the the weaker person there gets to buy into the power structure, but. Here it's like nope. Let's just do do away with the entire power structure. You know, awesome. That's I was already jump. planning to watch that because yeah. you had said some things, so good things about it in the past. But yeah, definitely on my list <laughs> for sure. Thank you for that. Yeah. Oh no, more things on my list. What do I do? I know, right? It's never ending. Yeah. I've got yeah. like five more things Gosh. just from this one conversation to add. To my yeah. Oh. Um. So on that note of perpetually adding to our watch list i think that's a good place to wrap it up uh, if no one has mm-hmm. uh, anything more to add oh i will think of lots of things in the middle of the night well i mean we can always we can revisit this <laughs> at some <laughs> later point yeah so oh, it's been great guys thank you so much for joining us both of you uh odessa jones and pogo mm-hmm. it's been wonderful and um thanks for bringing your insight and your intelligence and your K-drama knowledge <laughs> and your general, you know, cultural knowledge to this. It, it's kind of a difficult topic, but I 
all three of us actually, I'm speaking for Parama and Saya as well, like we've been thinking about this and we've been wanting to talk about it for a while. Um, so it's been really nice to have you and to talk about this. All right, I think we can end the call there. Thank you so much. Bye guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Anissa again. That was a lot. And still, this is a vast and deep issue that we all had so much more to say about than we had time for in this episode. Fortunately or unfortunately, this global conversation continues to shift with many new developments having happened even in the short time since we recorded. We're inevitably going to revisit this topic in the future, especially since I got to talk a lot this time and Sai and Paroma didn't. We appreciate you joining us for this more serious and tough discussion than the regular squeeing we do around here. As always, thank you for listening and would love to hear your feedback. You can find more episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us an iTunes review. It helps people find us. We'd also be ecstatic if you emailed us at starsinourpocket at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter at a K-drama podcast. You can find a link to Odessa Jones' piece about men's tears in the show notes. Until next time, bye!